Welcome, everybody. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Uh, my guest today on today's podcast is Doug Gray. And Doug works with the Family Business Consulting Group, who you may have heard of. But we're not going to really talk about that. We're going to talk about how his work there led to something else. So, Doug, welcome to the podcast. And thank you for taking the time to do this. My pleasure, Rod. Glad to help. Hope it's useful. Yeah, I'm sure it will be. So explain a little bit about what you do and how that led to this assessment that we're going to talk about in the podcast. Well, you and I have had a couple of delightful conversations. So I know that we share a long background of working with uh, complex family systems. Mm -hmm. For me, that's been since 97. And one of the things I've continually noticed is that uh, the older generation would love to believe that their kids are uh, incredibly capable. And yet uh, they're not sure about their capacities. So the older generation sometimes loses sleep. And uh, amid this $74 trillion transfer of wealth assets that we're enduring right now, the younger generation has a similar uh, but different concern, which is how do I possibly prove to my parents or elders that I've got the capacity to take on some more responsibility, that I'm capable and and such? Well, really, that's a learning uh, problem. It's a leadership development problem. So the short answer to your question is, um, I've observed this gap for a long time, since 97. And um, I guess a year ago, uh, I, I was encouraged by a colleague at the Family Business Consulting Group to have a conversation with Kent Rhodes. So Kent's one of my colleagues, he's at Pepperdine. Uh, he's been, a, I guess, a senior consultant for 17 or 18 years, and I've only been for three or four. So. Uh, I think it was an opportunity for adult supervision as much as anything. <laughs> Somebody said, you guys really ought to work together. And uh, you have a shared interest in in assessments, but particularly in 360 assessments in the family business space. And that's in part because Kent has done some for years with a bunch of different kinds of clients. He's based in California. And uh, he's, he's one of those brilliant people um, that I'd love to boast about because he he manages uh, the doctoral programs at Pepperdine in organizational development. So he's exposed to what a lot of people think is, is hip or current or important. And probably the best example of that is, an, is a new program that they're launching. Uh, that's not for me to you know, provide the details on, but it's a mm -hmm. master's in uh, family enterprise. It's the first of the world. And they're, uh, I think, launching it next, it must be the fall of 2023. Oh. Yep. Cool. And it, it takes a while, as you probably know, for educational institutions to respond to organizational change and societal demand. <laughs> so this probably started in 97 when you were <laughs> I don't know when it started. Uh, that's his story. But the point is, uh, it represents a lot of the trends that you and I care about. Uh, for instance, it's a 12-month program, small cohorts, evergreen model. You know, they'll do rotations throughout the year. And they include a lot of feedback like you would from a pitch-based program in technology, mm -hmm. feedback from venture capitalists. So they've identified 30 or more uh, venture capitalists, not only those in California, but a lot of them are. <laughs> and they have ties to Pepperdine or they have ties to uh, family businesses. So the thing's fully funded uh, to get launched and started. And I think it's representative of how we're using uh, feedback from investors to inform our decisions about leadership and leadership development. So that's sort of context. Okay. Uh, 25 years ago, I would created a, a risk-taking assessment and done a thing called a factor analysis, which is a, a nerdy way of saying you validate what you think is important uh, yeah. in, in testing. So we did that. We started out with sample populations of 
family business leaders and experts and members and sent out a, a, a list of 250 items that we thought were important. Items are the questions, the behavioral-based questions that people ask. And um, determined that uh, we wanted it reduced from 250 to about 50. Okay. And we've got five different systems that we know are inter interrelated. And the complexity that I see all the time is how does the individual fit into the organization? So uh, that's the basis or backbone of IO psychology, industrial organizational psychology. And it's the core conflict that you probably work with every day and all your advisors do. How does this next gen fit in with this organizational system? And the fact is we now have the tools to be more accurate about the complexity of that family system. So when you and I met, we each gave talks and uh, probably referenced that three cycle or three circle model, right. it's ubiquitous uh, of families and businesses and ownership systems. And those three are really important but they're disproportionate. The family circle is itty bitty. <laughs> and the owner <laughs> circle might be also itty bitty. And the business system might be really large. Um, statistically, that's more probable than not. But the other thing we've noticed is that uh, some families are really open to learning and some are not. Right. You probably know from your academic readings of Senge and others that a learning organization is a thing. It's a dynamic thing. We see it in employee engagement. We see it in some of the finest companies in the world. And it can be developed and taught and measured. So we looked at items that we thought were really important in the family business world and sent them out to our sample population. So all this data came back. We reduced it from 250 to 50. And since then, that was perhaps April or May. This is now December of 22. Since then, we've launched it quietly with a bunch of our clients. It's been phenomenal. Uh, it provides great insights for you or for the consultants because uh, you can see the gap. So if I think I'm this, but I'm actually lower, mm -hmm. that's that's a problem. <laughs> and, it's and not unusual. Yeah. <laughs> Self-awareness is, is what it is. We all have blind spots. So um, the flip side is also important. If I think I'm down here, but others think I'm up here, that's called a hidden treasure. So we've got vulnerabilities and hidden treasures and the ways to quantify that uh, visually. Mm -hmm. So uh, it leads to a 38 page report. And then there's three open-ended questions that all behavioral psychologists use. What's Doug uh, need to start doing? What does Doug need to stop doing? <laughs> and what does Doug need to continue doing? Behavioral Psych 101. And that's a pretty commonly used format for people to write feedback. So now you've got the open-ended qualitative data, and then you've got the quantitative data, and the, the nut together is really valuable. But we're not done. So that's the digital process. Okay. Typically, then, I'll also reach out to all the raters, say they're 18 or 25 raters, and I'll send them an email with an invitation to click on my calendar thing and find 15 minutes, and I'll ask them those same three questions. Why? Because it provides much more context. And okay. somebody will go on and on and on. I've had three or four of those today. Uh, the other participants love to be asked. So they're included in this process. And what we're really doing is modeling uh, a feedback culture for that family business, which may not have ever existed uh, previously. But that's a demand that millennials have today. Ask them. <laughs> They'll right. tell you. 
Of course, I want my opinion to count, and I, I want to be asked, and I want to know uh, what where's this information going. Of course, I'm digitally trusting. <laughs> well, By the way, what was ask and listen, right? I mean, that's, that, that other part, you know, they ask them sometimes, but they don't listen. So ask them, listen, and, you know, you can do it digitally. Oh, wow. You're like... <laughs> Well, the point here is that it's it's a part of a process that's right. not like giving somebody a Hogan or a DISC assessment. It's a high-touch, consultant-driven process that uh, we found to be in incredibly useful. Um, and, and I'll give you a few case studies if you want. But yeah. So uh, one is with a, a founder who's got eight leaders on his executive team, and he wants to retain all eight of them. One of them is his son. And he wants to uh, retain his son uh, now that he has cleaned up his, his act. He's no longer struggling with chemical dependency and, and emotional and erratic behavior. So how do you keep the son? And if you do that, how do you keep the other seven? Right. So uh, I said one of the best ways to do so, to retain all those people and assess their strengths, is to spend the first four months. We'll look at four leaders. Uh, we'll do this assessment process. I'll do the qualitative process and then I'll give them that feedback and uh, in Q1 and 2 we'll do the next four leaders so all eight within the next 10 or 12 months will have this detailed feedback so I fly to, to Texas every month and spend a couple of days with those folks and collate the data provide it to them because they've never had it and and that's what business psychologists can do uh, we can provide specific feedback for folks that we want to retain so that owner said, Doug, this is worth a million bucks. And I said, okay, how about a fraction of that? Yeah. <laughs> the good news is it's less than that, but okay. <laughs> but it is worth a million to yeah. him because, right. uh, well, for all the reasons I previously stated. Yeah. So that's one example. The second is uh, I've got a client that I have worked with for maybe a year and a half uh, with the next gens, a middle management team, two are family, three are not. And they're good and they're struggling. They're growing 40% year over year. So in a culture like that, they're trying to hold onto the horses they're, as they're flying right. across the prairie. And um, this process for them helps them all create a better culture of uh, feedback when the current president, who is the uncle of one of the non-next uh, gens, leaves and that's going to happen in 12 months. So in the next 12 months, this is a period of transition where everybody needs to learn more about professional feedback. And this is a catalyst for that process. So uh, they love that. To be clear, the owner wanted full access to the information and I said, no, this is a confidential process for each leader. To me, that means each leader will get the full package and I'll provide for you an executive summary with screenshots and then my narrative so that you can uh, know the gist of, of what this leader is working on. Uh, and that's critical. Um, I don't know if you've got any experience with 360s, but it's like poking the bear rod or, <laughs> right. or something. It, it can be really kind of nasty. And it used to be that some people would write uh, less than professional comments on someone's 360, which was then owned by the employer, not the individual which led to all kinds right. of ethical problems. We're not gonna do that. Right. So we've written the process, provided it to our clients and our colleagues. And, and the third example is uh, one of my colleagues who has a client with uh, wants three assessments done 
and he will provide that process to them. And all I'll do is provide the, the process to him so that he can have access in a consistent way and, and it'll be provided uh, over time to his clients. In other words, Doug doesn't need to be involved. Yeah. You're the uh, counselor for the counselor. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we do a lot of teaming. Um, yeah. You probably know that we've been around for 25 years and, and right. have a massive uh, library of content and, and such on, a, on the websites. But the, the secret sauce really behind that group is that uh, there's a nice level of humor and humility. So we get along well and, and joke uh, and are really clear that we're not the smartest people in the room most of the time. The, our clients are. So we figure out ways to serve them. and This is just another way to do so. But I don't want to minimize its impact. Uh, I might have shared this with you when we, when we were both speaking in Florida that I think this is going to change the profession. We were speaking to a, a room full of attorneys who I would have thought had great insights into discovery. Why? Because they bill for discovery process. <laughs> by the hour, by the minute. <laughs> and one would hope that there's a rigorous process there in, in assessment. Uh, but my experience is that that is not the case. It's erratic. Some are quite good. Some are not as good. Most of us trust our intuition. So I'll send to you a, an article that any listeners might be interested in that Kent Rhodes and I recently wrote, uh, which describes the scope of assessment and how we as professionals can actually be more quantitative than not. How's that? That'd be great. And so one of the things we want to do, I mean, we have the podcast that people are listening to now, but there's also a resource page. So we wanted to be able to get them whatever you could give us so that they could know how to get a hold of you. And yeah, that would be phenomenal to have on that, uh, on the resource page. It's a good article. The other um, reference perhaps is the URL. So assessnextgen.com has mm -hmm. some cool images and pictures and a a ridiculous little video that Kent and I made in about 45 seconds while sitting in Chicago. <laughs> well rehearsed. Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Very much. I like this call <laughs> with you. <laughs> it was uh, casual and um, we hope gives people a sense of who we are. <laughs> and and one of the things that's different about this assessment than a lot of, I mean, we've seen tons and tons and tons of assessments. This really is, as I understand it, um, kind of aimed at that rising gen as opposed to <laughs> aimed at to use it for, for the rising gen as opposed to point at them. <laughs> I, I mean, it's, I think it's really, uh, and, you know, cause we've, we've all seen other assessments that are out there. This is different. It's very different. It's, it's unique uh, for all those reasons. And I think it represents some of the shifts that have, have occurred recently in the last decade in, in psych uh, behavioral psychology in particular. Um, my dissertation work is in positive psychology, which mm -hmm. is essentially means what are the strengths and how do we leverage the strengths so that Rod at his best can be at his best more often throughout the day <laughs> right. than, than not. Well, there's certain things we know that work, interventions and, and such that work. Well, uh, those are tools that we've tried to incorporate into this process so that people uh, reinforce the strengths, seek multiple points of feedback so that uh, that can strengthen the, the result and uh, invite people to share openly with each other. As you know, some families are really open, but most are not. Right. Most keep secrets really well, kind of like family offices keep secrets really well. 
Well, what does it mean? Sometimes it means that the, the youngest next gen, who could be 58 years right. old, <laughs> <laughs> he or she is not 18 or 28 necessarily. We tend to think that way, but it's naive. Yeah. Uh, they tend to be 40s, 50s, even 60s, and they're holding on. They love the older generation. They want to support and validate and affirm them in all the ways that they can. But they don't have a clear future, which creates anxiety. Right. Well, psychology used to focus on three things, anxiety and depression and violence. How do we explain those things? And we're doing pretty well at explaining those things. But in the last decade, we've begun to shift to ask questions like, how does Rod flourish? What are the conditions or situations that will help you and your family? Flourish. It's a whole other perspective. It's a 180. I'm pretty excited about that, by the way. Well, and and it fits so well with some of the stuff we're going on now with uh, Wealth 3.0. It's getting away from the you know 90% of the time the families are going to blow up and no one's talking about what about those people that don't blow up. I mean, you know, that's and which is where we came from. You know, when I did, I, I'm not a psychologist. I'm a lawyer. Okay, and. <laughs> You there you go. It's a beautiful thing, Rod. <laughs> right, right. And so when we started, I started in the research back in, it was late, late 80s, early 90s, right after John had come out with, um, you know, the, what's now billed as the 90% rule and all that. And there was a lot of research being going on about, okay, what's going wrong? And I just kind of went, who cares what goes wrong? Let's, what goes right? I mean, you know, so what are the families who are successful? What do they do? And if we can find that out, we can follow it. So we have always, that's what that's where we came from. Yep. And we identified some things that they, if they tend to have these traits, then they tend to be better, you know, and it, but it wasn't quantitative. It was, you know, and so, um, and that's, you know, I was talking uh, to Jim Grebin about it when we were talking about this Wealth 3.0. And I said, and the research that, that he's looking for now, and I said, Mike, we understood that if they had this culture of communication, trust, and mentoring and wrapped around their family purpose, the 90% rule didn't apply. We didn't know where the tipping point was, you know, and, and how it's different. And so these kinds, this really plays into that by now now looking at, okay, what are their strengths? How can we play to their strengths? How can we play to somebody else's strengths that has the ones that they don't have mm -hmm. and, and make it a team? Exactly right. And I, I think your example of using those values is, is a perfect one, communication and trust and mentoring and such. Mm. Because um, the families that do that always excel. We've got clients who are you know, G5 and 7 and longer. Mm -hmm. Most most of our clients are in North America, but um, we've got some in Asia and Europe that are G15 or more. Right. The point generally is that they know we know what they're doing right. Dennis Jaffe's most recent book, uh, borrowed from our, our grandchildren, right. and that research is a great example, I think, of, of knowing what works well. There's um, a, a weird belief out there that uh, HBO succession stories are uh, representative of reality. <laughs> right. And if you and I know it's absurd. Uh, there are no adults in the cast of that TV show. <laughs> Every one of them acts like a child, right? And uh, when I think about the behaviors that we tend to tolerate in families, it's sometimes because we don't have the data to speak to Uncle Bob right, or Grandpa about the way he's speaking now and how that's affecting others. So an assessment process that gives people the tools that says on this one dimension, you think you're really high, but others think you're really low. Uncle Bob, that's a gap. It's a problem. And here's how it's playing out in conflict or communication or something. That's hugely valuable. 
because it gives advisors the capacity to, to address the central issues. And then you can do a post. So uh, we recommend with some clients a 12-month post-assessment. And that's Behavioral Change 101. Time right. 1, Time 2 is a longitudinal study. Well, now you're able to quantify the extent to which um, Junior, that 40-year-old... <laughs> or 50-year-old, yeah. <laughs> next gen, uh, developed his capacity to communicate better. It's not fuzzy. That's the power. And it's not personal. It's not my opinion. It's data-driven. Uh, it's data-driven. And it's multiple kinds of data, qualitative right. and quantitative. It is personal for that person, but it's yeah. not subjective or... Uh, uh, it, it's just not my opinion, though. It's not like, you know, I'm I'm coming up with this. I, I've watched you, and I think this. Uh, exactly right. And that's the limitation all of us have as advisors. We're one point of entry. And when we enter the system, we're now part of that system, right. which is a problem, typically, because it affects that system and creates bias. Right. Well, what if you had 18 or 20 respondents from different groups, right? If the mm -hmm. owner group parent or the family group is, is less important than the owner group. So the owner group is first, then the board, then the managers, then the peers, then directs, and then friends and family. Mm -hmm. so seven raider groups, and maybe you've got 20 raiders, and you take that same uh, picture, and then you contrast it with whatever happens 12 months from now. Yeah. If there's not behavioral change, then Doug's investment or their investment in Doug was a waste of time and money. <laughs> it should be dramatic yeah. improvements in, in various dimensions. Yeah. So it gives people a roadmap. And validation. Yep. So cool. So that's assessnextgen.com. Cool. All right. So yeah, if you can send out the uh, the information so that we can put it on the website and people who go, if you want, want the written stuff, they can get that in assessgen.com. They can go to, I've already gone there, so I know that it actually works. <laughs> you can get there. <laughs> and if I can do it, anybody can do it. <laughs> so and it, It's meant to be that. So if, yeah. for instance, you have listeners who are uh, wealth advisors or attorneys or family business consultants who have, have expertise, we're not looking for beginners. Mm. But if you do have people who are uh, capable and want to do a process like this that's more robust and validated uh, so that they can provide more value to their clients over time, uh, we can make that available to them. Yeah. A small fee, there's a license agreement, it's a 12-month deal. Yeah. But we're not going to take everybody because we don't need to. Well, and it's dangerous. I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> so, it, yeah. it could be. I don't want to, you know, over, yeah. it sounds really dramatic. Yeah. <laughs> A friend of mine from Canada says that Americans always use sports analogies and war and violence analogies. <laughs> Which is pretty accurate. I mean. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much for this. Uh, and if they want to get a hold of you, do they do it through that? Yeah. Uh, assessnextgen.com is one answer. Or okay. at um, thefbcg.com. Yeah. It's hard to say over the phone. but. <laughs> familybusinessconsultinggroup.com. Your people would want to know that there's hundreds of articles. I don't, I don't really know how many uh, there. It's a huge resource. So just hit the search bar. And they're all, um, that library is all free. There's a bunch of webinars that are free and there's a bunch of digital programs. But we've always been generous in that regard to try to provide content. There's 50 books, I guess, that we've published over time. And um, 
I think people sometimes wonder, where do I go to get validated information? It's a pretty good place to start. And, so, and they, that one you're talking about, uh, the FBCG, right? Okay. I am. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, because I've done, I've seen that too. So cool. All right. All right. Well, thank you very much. I'm, I'm sure this will be a well listened to and, uh, um, in, in our community, because our community are people who have dedicated themselves to this. And, you know, they're the ones that the other advisors come to and say, can you come help? <laughs> you know, to collaborate to make it happen. So you're right. And and that's what we do with most of our engagements is right. we work with both advisors and, and attorneys and our clients demand it. Maybe I'll close with this. If If you went to a doctor and the doc or the nurse did not take your vitals and blood pressure or do any form of diagnostic assessment, You'd probably call them irresponsible, and it might lead to some kind of a lawsuit, right, for negligence. What about a wealth advisor? There's no protocol. What about a business consultant and family business? There's no protocol. That's a gap. Yeah. The trend toward CFPs that demanded that you act in the interest of the investor is radical and forced upon them because of negligence. So let's assume that family business advisors like you and I and everybody that we know wants to be more responsible than not. <laughs> so we need to take the heart rate and pulse before we work with our clients. How's that? <laughs> yeah, you need to have a baseline. On that note, thanks for your time. Uh, thank you very much.